Welcome to what will be the last episode of the Spokane Public Schools podcast series on mental health and wellness. I am your host, Allie Barrera from the SPS Communications Department. In this episode, my coworker Christy and I speak to the director of our mental health services department, Dr. David Crump. We have a great discussion about the behavioral and emotional health reactions we experience following a crisis, like a pandemic, for example, and how we can turn any feelings of disillusionment we may have into feelings of resiliency. Plus, we chat about the REST model, that's R-E-S-T, that our district has been using to improve staff's mental well-being and how you can use it in your own life. It's a wonderful 25-minute conversation and a great way to cap off this podcast series. All right, I'm here with Dr. David Crump, who is the Spokane Public Schools Director of Mental Health Services. Dave, how's it going? Doing well today. Thanks for uh, letting me be here with you. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm also here with Christy Milroy, one of my colleagues. Happy you're here, Christy. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yay. All right. Well, let's just um, get right into it. So, a couple of weeks ago, we uh, posted a blog on our Spokane Public Schools blog that talked about the uh, phases of reactions to disaster. And it had a graph on it that looks a little scary, Dave. Do you mind walking us through this graph and what it means and uh, where we are now what and what we can expect the next few months? You bet. It's not a real happy uh, forecast, but it's uh, it, basically this is coming out of kind of the state and national disasterologists. That's kind of an interesting name for you. But they're looking at how we have our emotional and behavioral health reactions to different types of disasters. One of the things that, you know, that I've learned and that was that we're learning here in Spokane Public Schools is disasters usually come and hit hard and then you have this reaction period, and then you have the period afterwards that you kind of start to restore and get things better. And the problem with COVID is it doesn't have that hard, quick hit. It's staying on and on and on. You know, they've looked at other disasters like hurricanes and floods and even 9-11. Well, those, you know, were short time frame in comparison. And so they just redid the graph on our emotional reactions to this type of disaster. And the sad part is it went much longer. Now, the even to make it we'll go with the yucky part even more is if we have a second or a third wave, it stretch out, stretches out that disillusionment period. And what does that really mean? Uh, that means like, well, when you feel sad, when you feel overwhelmed, when you are just tired of this, you find uh, people are bothering you, uh, interpersonal relationships, uh, you just have more stress, um, all that you're disillusioned with, um, everything from the government to your family members to your neighbors, you are just fatigued and overwhelmed and all of that. That's the disillusionment. Some people, you know, before COVID, we used to call that, you know, like, wow, you know, burnout or or vicarious trauma or compassion fatigue. We'd have these names. And, you know, we just have this reaction. It's like this is going on and on and on. And we're being told, 
you know, keep physical distance from each other and, and what we can and can't do about the holidays and celebrations. And so it gets into this time when we start to feel greater uh, feelings of depression and anxiety. And it starts to be in, you know, how we react and it's we're not reacting well. And so that that's the bottom part of the trough of this graph. And that's exactly where we're living right now. So that's the kind of the yucky part of that graph. I have to say that as you're talking, I found myself nodding along a lot, unfortunately. Um, but when I looked at the graph, I was so surprised because I hadn't seen something like that before. But sure enough, I recognized all of the various parts of it um, playing out in my own life. And as grim as it kind of is to realize where we are, I found a tiny bit of comfort in that, knowing that you know, we are all going on this crazy up and down ride together. So for what it's worth, that, you know, felt a little comforting. Yeah, that's one of the positive signs is the is the fact that what they call that is a cohort effect, meaning our whole everybody living right now is a cohort and we're experiencing that same thing. And it's like with this type of kind of disillusionment phases we were talking about, you get into depression, hopelessness, and those kind of feelings. But then you kind of say, wait a second, we're in this together, which then gives us kind of a sense of not being alone, which is kind of a dichotomy because one of the side effects is isolation. Mm -hmm. But when you talk to friends, family members, people <laughs> that you just meet even online, they're experiencing the same thing. So that's a really good point, Christy. Mm -hmm. And I, too, was also nodding my head while you were talking <laughs> about the various stages. And I also thought we're in, as you said, the trough of everything. But with every trough is always an upswing. So that's something that is hopefully coming soon. And you also mentioned that we got new data a couple weeks ago that shows that this period of disillusionment could extend longer if we have more waves, but is there something we can do from a mental standpoint that could help shorten the disillusionment period? Is that possible? Yeah, it is. And because what you were leading to also is if you had a second or a third wave, they call that a disaster cascade, meaning you start to climb up and then you cascade down again. So, you know, what, what we found really helps is kind of going back to some of the basic meaning set uh, things that you can accomplish that has a start and a mid and an end point. Because so much is out of control right now that we really can't, we don't know what the future holds for us and you know we don't know what's around the corner. But if you can kind of set up that type of like, okay, at least I started this and I was able to end this, that's really healthy. <clears throat> and people are finding like, all right, I did get that done. Um, social connectedness. Hey, you know, we know we can't get uh, socially closed, you know, physically, but the connectedness is powerful. And then all the healthy stuff, you know, like just physical activity, uh, finding good ways to eat and sleep, uh, just taking care of yourself by, and I know it's going to sound goofy. We've talked about this before, 
you know, change your clothes, uh, you know, keep your house clean, do, do those things that you can. And one of my favorite things is vacuuming. And I just got to tell you, because I, I can see it and it leaves lines and it's like, oh, I got it done. And uh, the end product, um, those type of things are really helpful uh, because this is tough for all of us and don't let anybody fool you. It's no matter what we do, it, it is tough. And we're finding that, um, you know, some of the other parts are, are, you know, when people lose their job, uh, is difficult. Uh, substance use goes up. Suicidal ideation increases as employment, uh, unemployment rises, you know, things like that. And so what do we do? We try to find things that we can help. I know that was a long answer, but yeah, there's things we can do to help. Yeah, and I absolutely. like to the um, vote for finding satisfaction in vacuuming over here too. <laughs> and I will, I will third that, <laughs> but mine is cleaning up in the kitchen. I found myself yesterday, like I, I couldn't wait to stop working so that I could go up and tidy up the kitchen. I don't know. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> that wasn't me like a year ago. <laughs> no, but you see, but it was so perfect. satisfying when I finished it up. It was great. Yeah, it is great. It does have that end product and it changes. And that's something that we're really lacking in this time frame. And so those kind of things that maybe didn't mean that much a year ago, <laughs> truly mean a little bit more now. And that's the same with kids. It's like, whether it's homework um, or even screen time, you know, provide them a start and a stop time. Don't let it just keep going on and on and on. And so even as we talk to teachers, we try to say, give them assignments that they can accomplish hand in, you know, so yeah, those kind of let's get it done things. It really does help the disillusionment period. So one of the things that I have heard you say before, Dave, is that resilience is a great positive response to much of the negativity that is going on with the pandemic. I'm really curious to hear you uh, talk a little bit more about how resilience can be taught and practiced and developed. Ah, that it's really one of my favorite things is that is the fact that people often say, oh, I was born that way or I wasn't, you know, I, it's just not me. And it's like, no, that's not true. You can teach resilience and resilience really comes into that ability of being able to react positively to a situation and how you do that. And, and another part of that really is uh, positive thoughts and our brain, when we start going down a negative situation, our brain and neural pathways start following that. And they just, it, it seems like it kind of gets sucked into that. And so one of the best ways to do that is to force yourself out, like out of the, out of the ruts on the freeway. And what you say, positive comments, you find something either to be grateful for or something that you can say nice about somebody. And as you do that, you're creating neural pathways, but you're also finding that it, it only, it also helps the parts of the brain that fight um, pain, which fights loneliness, which fights uh, the mood and affect issues. And you can really start to change your resiliency factors in the way you react to what's being all around you by the way you handle it. And it does sound Pollyannish-y, 
that, oh, if you just say something nice or you think nice things or, and people often react to that and go, wow, that's really hard when I'm so down. Mm-hmm. But in, even like when we're trying to deal with depression, <clears throat> we say, go out, go out for a walk, go and serve somebody, go say some nice things. But what they don't understand is they go and help others or they say something nice. It's actually helping their mood, their brain, and their neural pathways. And that is one of the ways we can really not only just help others, but we teach ourselves. And it's not that hard to do, but you have to be very cognizant and purposeful in saying, yep, I'm going to do that. And to be that, to, I don't know, making those positive comments has a huge benefit. And then you practice it and it starts to uh, change kind of your mood and affect. I love that. And it seems very doable. I mean, you know, like maybe not to go out and be telling yourself positive things all the time, but it's um, you could start in a small way at least and then take one step towards being feeling better. One of the things that uh, we found even in working with uh, uh, married couples or couples in significant relationships is when when they start having a lot of problems is when they start blaming and talking negative about each other and signs of successful relationships is when they are show kindness and they show and mention and talk about things that they like about their significant other or their family members and unfortunately what we're finding a side effect maybe of COVID is that people are getting tired of or don't, you know, their relationships are under huge amounts of stress. They're with each other all the time. And those that uh, family members and, and couples of any, you know, relationship duration are finding that it's like, wow, if I can focus on the positive, it's not only helping me, but the relationships and my reaction to what's in, going on in the world around me. SPS has put a real emphasis on mental wellness, uh, this year especially, and I know a few of our schools are following the REST model, R-E-S-T. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how folks listening can maybe implement it in their own life? So, yeah, the REST model is something that uh, really was kind of started in a couple of our elementary schools, and then they started finding really good success, and then we started sharing it out with the whole district. And the REST model is not talking about taking a nap. It's It stands, it's an acronym, and it stands for reward, establish, share, and trust. And on that... This one is kind of good. It starts out with the reward, which is you have to reward yourself. You know, we we talk about terms like reward or reinforcement, things like that. And what we do is it's like we often look at ourselves. And if I ask you, I say, Allie, tell me 10 good things about you or 10 bad things. Wow. It's easy to say 10 bad. It's harder to find 10 good. And that's what we're really trying to say is change that and saying, reward yourself, compliment yourself, give yourself rewards for a job well done. And then, you know, how do you build that into your work? How do you build that into being a parent? How do you build that into being 
a good friend. And then so you pay attention to those positive effects. Because right now society and COVID and all the restrictions are saying don't, don't, don't. And this is saying, wait a second, let's look at this and reward ourselves for what's going well. So that's the R part, and that's something we can do. It's easy to criticize ourselves. We look in the mirror and we say, oh, I don't like this, blah, blah, blah. It takes more conscious effort to say, wait a second, I did a good job. I was able to at least do this much. And then the next one is... Uh, E, which stands for establish, which means establish good boundaries. Honestly, good boundaries means everything from I'm not going to <laughs> eat in my bed. I'm not going to watch TV until, you know, super late and then fall asleep with it on. So it gets into your eating habits, your sleep patterns. So you want to basically you're setting boundaries for yourself on it's like, and also in time, I'll put my effort into this for a little while and you put a boundary of start and stop. It goes back to what I was saying earlier. It does help with that boundary of start, middle, end, and then share. And this one, people kind of go, oh, you're going touchy-feely on me, Dave. And it's like, yeah, I am. <laughs> you, you need to kind of share your feelings, your concerns. Um as Christy was saying, we're all in this cohort effect together. We all are experiencing that. And oftentimes we feel very lonely and isolated because we don't think others feel the same or going through what we're doing. And so if we're able to share that, and those are often feelings and emotions, because I got to tell you, I'm lonely. I, I'm overwhelmed. I'm exhausted. And at times I get really angry and upset about kind of the limitations I have on me. When I start talking to others and they go, I know exactly what you mean. And I'll just give you an example. When you both were talking about cleaning the kitchen and vacuuming, that was real reinforcing to me. It made me feel connected to the two of you. Even though we were laughing, it we were sharing, you know, what really was life. Um, and the sharing also is kind of includes participating in support groups and that support group can be a, you know, formalized groups or it can be in, you know, just helping somebody else. And it really gets down to make a little bit of time to serve others and make connections. And you're going to find as uh, you help them, you're helping yourself. That's the sharing part. And then the, the T, the trust it's trust your support network, you know, trust others around you. And that means you might have to trust them with your feelings, your emotions. You know, in our nation, we have a very individualistic nation. You know, we kind of, especially in the Western United States, it's like, hey, if you have a problem, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And in other systems and societies, there's more collectivist in the fact that they will work out and work together. Well, this is kind of where we need to uh, reach out to others and say, I really don't want to do this and can't do this just by myself. So reach out to others. And then if it becomes too overwhelming for you, sometimes people, you know, here it goes back to the boundaries. You know, if people are kind of relying too much on you and putting too much weight on you, set boundaries on yourself and uh, refer them to, you know, professional help or refer them to 
you know, clergy, refer them to do something positive for themselves. So that rest model, reward, establish, share, and trust, really is helpful whether it's in a professional school setting, you know, as a teacher, for example, or in your own personal life. And you have to practice that. It It is an emotive or emotional type of, uh, but you got to be honest with yourself. This COVID, what we're finding, the toughest part is the emotions with it. And that's not to diminish that I know that people um, have lost jobs and people have lost opportunities and have are grieving loss of celebrations and privileges and opportunities from music to athletics to graduation type of things. So there's so many activities, but when it really comes down to it, it's the emotion behind it. And if we can, you know, reward ourselves and set those boundaries, share with others, and then trust yourself and trust others. Um, I, I totally believe in, you know, doing all you can, but sometimes our society has gone too far to say, <laughs> you know, do it yourself. And COVID has kind of taken the air out of our wings and we need to do this together because together we can get through it and we will. And nobody's gonna tell you it's easy, but it is gonna be tough. And if you can kind of establish some of those, you know, aspects of the rest model, it's very positive and can really help. Well, I trust you guys with my feelings. <laughs> and I wanted to thank you for that answer, Dave. And I wanted to thank you, Allie, for this podcast. I feel so privileged to know both of you and have your expertise in my life. And I mean that sincerely, though I was following up on the rest model as well. <laughs> rest model in action. Right there. That's, right all it, that's all it takes. Over the last couple of weeks, we have featured conversations with some of our truly awesome, amazing school mental health therapists and their work that they do with our students. And with this being the final episode of the series that we're putting together, Dave, what parting sentiment do you want those listening to have about our therapists in the district? You know, I... It is truly a privilege to work with them. And I, I was thinking about that going, some people, you know, if they say, well, what's therapeutic to you? There's very few people that say going to a therapist. They'll say, you know, going for a walk or going, having a bubble bath or, you know, doing something that's therapeutic. But I got to tell you, the therapists that we have in our district are a powerful source of good and it's a privilege to know them and they have great skills and abilities to whether they you know just consult with you or able to sit down and talk with you for several sessions um you know their job is tough and but what they have to offer is beneficial to any of us and it's something that i think our district is really blessed <laughs> And it's a privilege to have them in kind of not only their desire, uh, but their skill and abilities. So I, I truly do uh, count my time with them as a privilege.
and I hope people will be able to take that advantage of that and being able to look at that. So, yeah, thank you. All right, thank you so much, Dave Crump, and thank you, Christy, for accompanying me today. This was a great chat, uh, a lot of laughs, but a lot of great information that I hope people take away. <laughs> it was great being with you, and I appreciate the time, and, and I really appreciate you taking the interest and focus, because oftentimes mental health is seen as something not to talk about, and, you know, around the the kitchen table type of thing. You don't talk about that. And it's like, no, COVID has forced it on us. And I really think, I want to say thank you to both of you for taking time and putting it and making it an acceptable conversation because it's impacting all of us. It's our pleasure. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Anytime. Well, you two have a great rest of your day. And that's it. That was our podcast series on mental health. If you didn't catch some of our episodes, we have them all up on our district website at spokaneschools.org slash listen. I got a lot out of talking with these wonderful, compassionate, insightful mental health experts who work with our students in our schools day in, day out. And I really hope you did too. Make sure to continue following us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and stay tuned for future podcasts. Take care.